ओम ज्ञान The branches of this tree. This is the allegorical banyan tree of of the material world. The branches of this tree extend downward and upward, nourished by the three modes of material nature. The twigs are the objects of the senses. This tree also has roots going down, and these are bound. To the fruitive actions of human society. Translation to text three and four: The real form of this tree cannot be perceived in this world. No one can understand where it ends, where it begins, or where its foundation is. But with determination, one must cut down this strongly rooted tree with the weapon of detachment. Thereafter, one must seek that place from which, having gone. One never returns, and there surrender to that supreme personality of Godhead, from whom everything began and from whom everything has extended since time immemorial. <clears throat> Purport to text three and four. It is now clearly stated that the real form of this banyan tree cannot be understood in this material world, since the root is upwards. The extension of the real tree is at the other end. When entangled with the material expansions of the tree, one cannot see how far the tree extends, nor can one see the beginning of this tree. Yet one has to find out the cause. I am the son of my father. My father is the son of such and such a person, etc. By searching in this way, one comes to Brahma, who is generated by the Garbhodakshay Vishnu. Finally, in this way, one, when one reaches the supreme personality of Godhead. That is the end of research work. One has to search out that origin of this tree, the supreme personality of Godhead, through the association of persons who are in knowledge of that supreme personality of Godhead. Then, by understanding, one becomes gradually detached from this false reflection of reality, and by knowledge, one can cut off the connection and actually become situated in the real tree. The word asanga is very important in this connection. Because the attachment for sense enjoyment and lording it over the material nature is very strong, therefore one must learn detachment by discussion of spiritual science based on authoritative scriptures, and one must hear from persons who are actually in knowledge. As a result of such discussion in the association of devotees, one comes to the su one comes to the supreme personality of Godhead. Then the first thing one must do is surrender to him. The description of that place whence, having gone, one never returns to this false reflected tree is given here. The supreme personality of Godhead, Krishna, is the original root from whom everything has emanated. To gain the favor of that personality of Godhead, one has only to surrender, and this is a result of performing devotional service by hearing, chanting, etc. He is the cause of the extension of the material world. This has already been explained by the Lord Himself. Ahang saravasya prabhavaha. I am the origin of everything. Therefore, to get out of the entanglement entanglement of this strong banyan tree of material life, one must surrender to Krishna. As soon as one surrenders unto Krishna, one becomes detached automatically from this material extension. Tonight's lecture subject is. Material problems 
and spiritual solutions. So what are the material problems? Anyone like to give any suggestions of what are material problems? Poverty is a problem. Do you suffer from that problem? Birth is a problem. Too many births. Overpopulation. Death is a problem. Disease is a problem. Old age is a problem. Why is it a problem? Everyone has to get old. You have to depend on someone. You're independent now. Especially in this condition. What other problems? Stress and anxiety. Excessive? Any greed is good? Excessive greed. I only want fifty billion dollars. But excessive greed, that is bad. Greed, greed, yeah. Fear. In Seattle, in December, there's what kind of problem do you get? Cold, snow, icy roads, more accidents on the roads, dark. What do you say? Tornadoes, that's a problem. So what's the spiritual solution? What are some of the problems? What's the spiritual solution to cold weather? What's the spiritual solution to hurricanes? What's the spiritual solution to death? We have a solution for death. Everyone has to die. We have a solution for that. How are we going to stop death? Is what is the? How can death be stopped by any means? This seems to be imagination. If it's cold, then this. It's a material problem and there's a material solution is that you go to a warmer place. You get in, you go into a house which is warm or you go to Florida, the other side of America from Washington State. But then in Florida there's a hurricane. <laughs> so then you drive out to another state and on the way you crash your car. You may not crash your car. We're hoping that you won't. But the nature of this material world is that there are problems. It's unavoidable. We find that even people who have means, just like you're saying poverty is a problem. Why is poverty a problem? Because poverty means that we don't have enough money to fulfill the basic needs of the body. If it's cold, then we may not have enough money for a blanket or a heating system or not enough money for sufficient food or sufficiently nourishing food. So poverty is a problem. I'm surprised coming to America this time seeing so many beggars. In India, we used to see beggars, but in America we don't expect, but so many beggars. 
who are begging, please give some food. America is exporting food. But in the streets of America, people are begging for food. So, even those who have the even those who are not poor, they have the means to uh, solve the problems. It would seem, but of course, money in itself is no guarantee of solving the problem. one can get a heating system for the house in the cold winter. But that actually generates more problems because due to lack of air circulation, then germs stay within the house and then people are more liable to get cold and flu. So the solution generates another problem. So you go to the doctor and he gives you some medicine But it's often found that the medicine that is given, after some time, they find that it has some side effects. you have any doctors here? No, all software engineers. There are many examples of this. Just just like um, one of the first commercially marketed contraceptives was called thalidomide, which they said is it's an effective contraceptive taken easily as a pill. But then they found that children were still being born. That wasn't the greatest problem. They were being born without arms and legs, called thalidomide children. So they thought it was a good antidote for the problem of having children, which they considered a problem. But then they found a a greater problem was caused. And so many times they found, uh, what's this they they, they put in the soft drinks in India? No CFCs or carbofluor, what is it? Chlorofluorocarbonates, something like that. So for years they were using this as preservatives. And then they found that it's actually carcinogenic. So so many people got cancer. They thought that we're making a commercially produced drink, but it becomes rotten in the bottle. It it ferments in the bottle. So put in the chlorofluorocarbonate, and that will solve that problem, but then the problem is that you get cancer. So we can attempt to solve some problems by scientific research, and by uh, money that can solve some problems. But we find even people who have plenty of money, they still have problems. Either they have family problems or personal psychological problems, or even if they have no reason to have any problems, still they feel depressed. It's very common, isn't it? And... Even if one feels more or less what they call normal, although I don't know what normal means when 70% of the population go to psychiatrists at some point in their life. What is normal? Or balanced? If someone's psychologically balanced and has sufficient income, still we have to die. That's a problem. Because we don't want to die. So what is the... Solution. Is there any solution or should we just accept there are material problems and 
We just have to live with it and make the make the best of a bad bargain, eat, sleep, drink, be merry and enjoy, for tomorrow we shall all be dead. That's one outlook on life. <clears throat> what is the spiritual solution? Well, first of all, we have to consider what is the meaning of spiritual. In the, in the present age, mostly what is marketed as being spiritual is... Uh, also material, just like they, they say stress and anxiety is a problem. So they recommend meditation so that you can become free from stress. And you may be, because by slowing down the breath and trying to calm the mind, then automatically that is an antidote to stress. But it's not spiritual, because the aim is only to counteract stress. Spiritual means to come to a completely different platform to that of material. What is the meaning of material? And what is the meaning of spiritual? Now, in the Vedic literatures, we're reading here from Bhagavad Gita, which is discussing, these particular verses are discussing what is the solution to the material situation. In the Bhagavad Gita and in corollary Vedic literatures, the nature of spiritual is described as sat-chit-ananda. These are commonly known words. Sat means eternal. Chit means conscious, awareness, knowledgeable. And ananda means happiness. And the material situation is asat, achit, nirananda. Everything in this material world is limited by time. And that's a problem. We would like to live forever, but we are not able to. Nowadays it's very popular to take vitamin E, and various antioxidants with the aim of extending our lifespan. But there is no, or there are there are various medicines, antidepressant. But there is no anti-death medicine. Life in this material world is by nature temporary. And achit. We are not in knowledge. Now, of course, the modern age is called the information age. We had the prehistoric age and then stone age and there's so many in the prehistoric Cambrian and so so many different pre, pre-Cambrian and, and they come up through BC, before Christ and then the the early Christian era, then what they call the the Dark Ages, Medieval Ages, Renaissance, then the time of the Industrial Revolution, then the Space Age, and now it's called the Information Age. There's so much information on the internet, you go on the internet, you get so much information on so many different topics. 
But still, the material situation is called lack of knowledge. Why is that? Why do the Vedic literatures describe the material situation as one of lack of knowledge? Because we lack knowledge of the essential principles of existence. We know how to build big buildings. We know how to split the atom. But we do not know who we are. We consider this body to be ourself. However, the body is only temporary. Whereas we are by nature eternal, therefore we hanker after eternal life. We do not like to die. Of course, some people commit suicide, but they do so in frustration. It's not that they really want to die, but they just find their life so frustrating that they think that death would be better. Although we understand from the Vedic literatures that the soul is eternal, so if we kill the body, it doesn't end our existence. And because killing a body is sinful, we have to get the result of that. We have to do the karmic reaction. So those who commit suicide, they become ghosts. They, they, because they deny their existence in a body, then they have to remain in a, in a subtle form as ghosts. So we lack knowledge of who we are. We identify with this body. We think this body is me. And we try to attain happiness, ananda, which is the other the, the third condition of the of spiritual existence. Eternal means no death. Full of actual knowledge and full of bliss. But in this material situation, we try to get happiness through the body and the mind. We're trying to get happiness through the body means we try to enjoy nice food. Uh, we try to enjoy by the... Uh, Linking of one body with another, or sex life. Uh, we try to enjoy through hearing music, through the eyes, by going to cinema, performances. And we try to avoid that which we find unpleasant to the body, such as cold or children making noises. Of course, it's pleasant to the Parents, sometimes. But generally, just an example. Or, well, in, the, in this smoke detector, that noise that was going off in the apartment, piercing noise. If or scraping the nails against the window. This sound is unpleasant. Stop that! It's, it, it's unpleasant. So we... In the material situation, we always try to find out uh, that which is pleasing to our senses. And we try to avoid that which is displeasing. However, we can never make it, we can never arrange a situation in which everything is pleasing and nothing is displeasing. 
and therefore we have problems. Problem means that something uh, happens that causes us discomfort, either physical or mental, or we fail to attain that which we desire. We may desire, I will have lots of money, and therefore, then I will do what I like to do. But we fail to attain it. Or even if we get the money, we find that we can't do what we want to do. So in this way, we remain frustrated. So the material situation is by nature not full of ananda. It's full of misery. Whereas the spiritual situation is full of bliss. Now, often people, they say that this philosophy is pessimistic. We say this material world is miserable. But we say, no, this is realistic. Actually, it's a fact. We have to die. We do not want to die, but we have no choice in the matter. We have to grow old, and old age means the bodily functions gradually become diminished. And even to do what we what are ordinary things in life previous to old age becomes very difficult. Some years ago, I met one man, old man. Even though he was bent over, he was still taller than me. And you could see he had a very big bodily frame, but now he was quite thin. And he said that that at this time I was about, what, 25 years old. And he said, when I was your age, I was a champion wrestler. And I could pick up four people like you and throw them to the other side of the room all at once. But now, even to walk anywhere, I need a stick on one side and lean on someone's shoulder on the other. It happens to everyone. Many people feel very frustrated. Someone was telling me there, their father was the head of a big company. He was a big boss and he was a very big, strong figure. Everyone respected him. But now he was lying in bed in, in hospital, waiting to die. He couldn't, he couldn't even turn over. And he didn't want to see anyone. He didn't want to see his relatives because he felt so frustrated that they were pitying him, whereas previously he was protecting and maintaining them. He was in the position of of being like the head of the family and the head of the company. Everyone looked up to him and respected him. And now he's just like just like an infant that he can't do anything by himself. So he's feeling so frustrated. But he never considered that I will come to this position at some point in time. That you can't, you can't remain the head of your company and in a big strong body forever. So old age means everything becomes difficult food to digest, if you have teeth, <laughs> you can chew, but even then to digest, you can hardly digest, and eyesight gradually diminishes, sense of hearing, everything becomes difficult. In old age, the bones become brittle and very easily break. Gradually the body becomes worn down and inevitably death takes place. So to say that this material world is miserable, is not pessimistic, but it is realistic. And even if we feel happy, 
uh, that, uh, yes, I feel very happy in my present situation, but we cannot remain in it either. However, the Vedic philosophy is not overall pessimistic. We are realistically pessimistic about the present situation that we are in, but at the same time, we recognize that beyond this material situation, there is a situation where there is no old age, death, repeated birth, death, old age and disease. The very fact that we desire happiness suggests that our innate nature is to be happy and that there is a situation in which we can be happy. Just like the desire, we have the desire to drink water, that we, we feel thirsty, that desire can be fulfilled by drinking water. The, the desire, along with it, there is a natural concomitant fulfillment of that desire. We have the desire to eat, we feel hunger. So the, the fulfillment of that desire is to eat food. But we have an innate desire to be happy, to love. But we find in this material world that happiness or attempts for happiness are always thwarted. And love, if we can find it, it's even family love is becoming increasing. That which was considered normal in previous generations is now almost forgotten in modern culture. But even if we do have loving relationships, they are cruelly, it seems, broken by the force of time. So we can be totally pessimistic and say, well, there's no love because we haven't experienced it. Or we, or we see that our attempts at love have been thwarted again and again. But actually, the followers of Vedic philosophy, they are most optimistic not foolishly optimistic. Just like uh, we may say, we wish you, uh, someone is lying on the bed, 80 years old, they can hardly breathe, and they have all tubes sticking in their body, and it looks obvious that they're not going to be with us much longer. And someone comes to visit them, Unlikely, but someone might come to visit them and say, get well soon. It's obvious they're not going to get well. But you may say, well, that's being optimistic. But what's the use of such optimism? Rather, we could advise such a person for his actual benefit, that now you're going to leave this body and According to our consciousness at the time of death, we get another body. This is how the cycle of birth and death works. It's not arbitrary that someone is born in a 
rich family, someone is born in a poor family, someone is born, some living being takes birth as a cat or a dog. One who has cultivated dog-like consciousness in this life takes birth as a dog in the next life. One who has cultivated godly consciousness in this life attains to a godly situation. So, optimism should be realistic to have the optimism of an ostrich is not very helpful. The ostrich is famous that when a predator comes that he cannot avoid, he sticks his head in the sand. As if I can't see him, therefore he can't see me. But it's all the, the rabbit which is chased by dogs. He runs away with fear in his eyes. But eventually when he knows he cannot be caught, he stops and closes his eyes. The closing the eyes does, it, it only helps to put us in an illusion that the dogs are not coming to get me. But that illusion is ripped to pieces, literally, just a few seconds later. So, to, to say to be optimistic about this material world, it's like living with eyes closed, in, in the words of the supposed philosopher. Anyway, it's a good comment. He, John Lennon, you may have heard of him. He was famous in Western culture, songwriter. He said that living is easy with eyes closed. <laughs> it seems easy. You just close your eyes to all the problems and everything is nice. But it's not so easy. Even if we try to pretend that the problems don't exist, they do exist. You don't pay your bills and you think, well, there's no problem, but then your water gets cut off, your gas gets cut off, you get kicked out of your apartment. So we can we can pretend that the problems don't exist, but they do, and they catch up with us. So the Vedic philosophy is realistic in a holistic sense. This word holistic is very popular nowadays. The holistic approach to life considers all the needs of human beings, and not only human beings, of every living being, and even of the planet. The holistic approach to life means that we shouldn't just think in terms of what we need for our body, but we have mental needs, sensual needs, intellectual needs, emotional needs. But what is missing is our spiritual need, which is the central need. Without addressing our spiritual needs, trying to uh, fulfill all our other needs is something like very nicely bathing, putting on perfume, lipstick, makeup, nail polish, setting the hair very nicely, 
when we're suffering from a serious disease but not taking medical treatment. So we may dress the body very nicely, but if there's disease, we should treat the disease. So actually we're all suffering from disease, dis-ease, lack of ease, lack of satisfaction. We're all suffering from the disease of not understanding what is our actual position, that we are thinking that this life is all in all, that everything, I, all my endeavors should be for the satisfaction of myself and my loved ones or my country in my present situation. Not understanding that my present situation is not my real situation. It's temporary. But I am eternal. Now I am an American. So we think in terms of America. What is America's best interest? But we don't consider that we're only in an American body for maybe maximum 90 years. And then after leaving this body, we might take birth in America again. Maybe as a human being, maybe as a tree, or a cat, or a dog. Any, or we may take birth somewhere else, even on another planet. Depending on our consciousness, we get a certain kind of body. Just like um, in India, on the border of India and Pakistan, there's always some fighting going on. Is it, I, don't, I haven't been seeing the newspapers for a long time, but when I'm in India, you always see... When they've got nothing else to report, they report 23 killed in Kashmir Valley. It's daily news, but when they don't have anything else, they put it on the front page. So that's still going on, presumably, is it? Despite the so-called... Sometimes the politicians say, now we're becoming more friendly, and sometimes they say it's more tense. But anyway, it goes on. In Kashmir, what goes on just goes on, whatever the politicians say, when they say... India, Pakistan, bhai bhai, or whether Hindu, Muslim, bhai bhai, or, or whether they say bye bye, whatever they say, but it, it just goes on. So, uh, the Indian soldiers up in the Kashmir Valley and, or on the line of control or whatever it may be, in Kargil, they may be fighting against Pakistani intruders. Of course, they're supposed to be non-Pakistanis. Anyway, so at the time of death, they may be shooting their gun, but they get shot, and at the time they're thinking, I hate Pakistan. So because they're thinking of Pakistan at the time of death, they take birth in Pakistan. And next life, they may be fighting against India. That's how it works. Whatever you think of at the time of death, you get the next kind of body. It may be also that Americans fighting in Iraq, they get born in the next life in Iraq and fight against America. So maybe America's supplying troops. Of course, they don't say we're fighting against Iraq, but that's what they think. So America may be supplying more souls for fighting against them in future. Karma is very tricky. 
So to consider that I, if we understand that the soul is eternal but the body is temporary, then why should we put so much emphasis on the body, considering that it is so flickering? If we live 70 years or 90 years or even 120 years, who's the, who's the oldest reported person on the planet at the present time? This is the kind of silly question they ask you in these general knowledge tests in India, right? If you go to get a job, they ask you all questions which has no relevance to the job whatsoever. Things like, what is the age of the oldest person on the planet at the present time? So, anyone know? What's it supposed to be? Hmm? Someone's 112. Where? In Mexico. Someone's 112. But they can never tell because it's only on... There's no birth certificates going back that long, so you can't really tell. Okay, so someone's 112. How many of you expect to be here in your all average age, what, about 30, something like that? Let's say. So how many of you expect to be around in 92 years from now? Don't expect? That's a long life, isn't it? 112 years? Not very long. In eternity, what is it? It's like a blip on the radar screen. What about these trees up here in the forest? They're mostly pine trees. They don't live so long. But in America, there are some trees reported to be even thousands. Not only in America, in different parts of the world. There are some trees reported to be over a thousand years. How old are those redwood trees? You know, that's supposed to be symbol of America, I was told when I was being raised in England, the redwood trees. 3,000 years. You like to live a long life under a tree for 3,000 years? But even that's not very much. How old is this earth planet? What's the latest figure the scientists give? It's always changing, whatever figure they gave. I can't remember what I was taught at school, but I'm sure it's different nowadays. What do they say? 4.5 billion years. That's a long time. Would you like to live for 4.5 billion years? You have to use a lot of makeup. After get a pretty wrinkled face by that time. But even that, if we consider what is the nature of eternity, it's not very long. Einstein told us that time is relative. That concept is there in the Vedic literatures. That time works differently on different planets. There's the story of uh, Raivat Maharaj, on this, a great king on this earth planet, who wanted to find out a very suitable match to be the husband for his daughter. So he went up to the planet of Brahma, the highest demigod in the universe, to say, well, you should know, you can see everyone in the universe, you tell me who's a suitable partner. But when he went there, hmm? No, he, he wasn't asking for Brahma to marry him, to marry her. 
But he was asking, you tell me who can be a suitable match. But as it happened, there was some dancing performance going on at the time. So he had to wait a few minutes. So then Brahma asked him, well, what do you want? And he said, I want a good husband for my daughter. Brahma laughed. And he said, you've been here five minutes. In the meantime, everyone who you considered as a possible match has died and been forgotten. And even your your kingdom and your name and even your your whole dynasty, everything's gone and forgotten. Because the time on that planet is different to the time on this planet. Einstein worked that out. It's all relative, according to motion. So, Brahma, how long does he live? Let's try and work this out. Now, there is uh, each Kalpa. How long is Kali Yoga? Four lakh thirty two thousand years. And how long is Dwarpa Yoga? Twice that. And how long is Treta Yoga? Yeah, and then Satya Yoga? Okay, put that all together. How much is all that? Forty three lakhs. Okay, forty three. Forty, that's 4,320,000 years, approximately, is the length of one cycle of time in the universe. And a thousand of these cycles equals one day of Brahma. And his night is just as long. 12 hours day, 12 hours night. So we have... 4,320,000 times 2 oh that make yeah, that makes his uh, that makes one day 4,320,000 times 1,000 times 2 makes one day and night of brahma and sahasra yoga pariyantam ahayad brahmano viduhu so 4,300,000 3, 4,320,000 times Two times a thousand, that makes one day of Brahma. And there are thirty days in his month and twelve months in a year. And he lives for? So multiply that all together. Quick, 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 big brains. Don't have your computers here. Huh? How much? You're looking in the book. That's intelligent. What is a trillion? Hundred billion. Thousand billion. Can't think of it, can we? It's too too long to imagine. That's the life of Lord Brahma. And Lord Brahma, that's the length of the universe, of the existence of the universe. And that takes place in one breath of Mahavishnu. So we wish you a long life. <laughs> How long do you want your life? As long as Lord Brahma's? That's also just a breath of Mahavishnu. And we're thinking, I'm in such stress and such anxiety because 
my dog has a cold or something like this. <laughs> well, that's one way to get free of stress, just to imagine how, to understand how insignificant we are. Oh, my hair is going gray. What shall I do? We have a solution. Shave it off. <laughs> no one will see. <laughs> what about the ladies? When your hair shaved off. But what you what you can do, you can put in Godridge coloring, black coloring, but then you have to put it regularly, otherwise you find there's a white parting in the middle. <laughs> All the rest is black. So Godridge has this solution to white hair. Or the traditional solution is that Mahindi. You can become a Haji. The Muslims, they put in their beard. <laughs> so, so, what is the solution to growing old? Godridge hair dye. No. Not a solution. Even Brahma doesn't have a solution. Generally we see in the pictures of Brahma, Hindu pictures, there's a long beard, isn't it? How long should it be? If he's been around for a few billion years already. But he also has to die. That's why when Hiranyakashipu asked Lord Brahma, make me immortal. He said, I can't. I don't have the ability myself. I'm also in this material world. What is the solution? The solution to all material problems is to get out of this material world. The solution in prison, there are many problems. Sometimes they complain, oh, the prisoners have very bad conditions. So they should have good conditions? It's supposed to be a punishment, isn't it? So they're locked up. Lack of freedom is a problem. What is the solution to the problem? Get a TV. Get some crack inside the jail. Somehow it's going on. Uh, but that's not a problem. The problem needs to be solved by getting out of that condition. So similarly, we are incarcerated in the material condition. As long as we're in this body, we consider I am this body, and we relate to the problems of this body as being my problems. But those problems end with death, that set of problems. That's why sometimes people, they commit suicide thinking that all my problems will be finished. But the, the problem with that is that giving up this body, we go to another body, we go from one set of problems to another set of problems. We don't, we don't get free from the condition of the problematic condition, but we just go to another set of problems. So the real solution to the problem is to come out of this material world and come to the spiritual condition which is by nature eternal, full of bliss and knowledge. There is the spiritual condition in which there is no death. 
There is no birth. There is no old age. There is no anxiety. There are no bills to pay. That is, all the things that we consider might give us happiness in this world, but which don't actually do so, are perverted distortions of the actual activities that truly make us happy in the spiritual world. Just like, for instance, people, they try to form relationships, loving relationships, but that is uh, broken by disappointment or by time. But in the spiritual world, everything is eternal and there's no disappointment. And the actual object of love, Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, never disappoints. Srila Prabhupada sometimes used to say to his disciples that so many times you have been disappointed in trying to love, now you love Krishna. Krishna will not disappoint. Because Krishna is fully satisfied in himself. Even though he is fully satisfied in himself, he desires to love to spread his love to his devotees. So, his love for his devotees is not compromised as love in this material world is by the desire to get something from someone else. Our love means that we desire to get something from someone. Often what goes on in the name of love, especially in the modern age, is actually a desire to exploit others. We say, I love you. A man says to a woman, I love you. But when he's exploited her to his satisfaction, he drops her, which causes so much distress, or vice versa. It may be a woman drops the man or whatever. But Krishna has no motive to enjoy others because he's fully satisfied in himself and he's so much satisfied in himself that he simply wishes to give love to others. And the nature of his love is not exploitive. It is not based on trying to enjoy the senses. Now in in service to Krishna, we offer food to Krishna. And sometimes people say, why do you offer to God? Because he is pleased, not exactly with the food. Devotees try their best to cook nice food, but it's the exchange of affection that the devotee is offering with love to Krishna. This is pleasing to Krishna. There's the famous story of how Krishna refused the invitation of King Duryodhana come to my palace and eat. And he could give any amount of delectable eatables, but Krishna refused because he knew that Duryodhana had some political motive. He wasn't inviting Krishna out of affection, but he wanted to take some advantage from Krishna. So Krishna refused to go. Then he went to the uh, unannounced, he went to the home of his devotee Vidura 
His wife was there, Vidura's wife, who was a great devotee of Krishna. She had nothing at home to offer him but bananas. But in her, she offered that to Krishna. You have come to my home. Please take something to eat. We only have this banana. Please take it. And she was offering with great affection. And she was so excited that Krishna had come. She was peeling the bananas and giving to Krishna. But in her excitement, she was throwing away the fruit and giving the skin. But Krishna was eating it. Because he thought that this is given with such love that I should accept it. So Krishna is not hungry for food, but he's hungry for affection. Uh, there are so many uh, activities to perform in the spiritual world. It's not uh, simply dull or vibration, but the spiritual world is full of wonderful spiritual activities in relationship with Krishna, who is the wonderful spiritual person, this, the central point of, of all spiritual activities is simply to exchange loving exchanges with Krishna, who, being the Supreme Personality of Godhead, can reciprocate fully with his unlimited number of devotees. So there are various activities, dancing with Krishna, eating with Krishna, feeding Krishna, maybe stealing his lunchbox, fighting with Krishna. Young boys, they like to fight. Friendly fight, I say. Swimming with Krishna. So these are all activities which are pleasurable, but the pleasure comes not so much from that we shall eat the food and we shall enjoy, but that we are eating it with Krishna. We are sharing this with Krishna. So, the material condition, there is no solution. It is by nature full of suffering. This is not... Well, we could say it's pessimistic to say this, but then pessimism about the nature of the material world is realism. But at the same time, we are optimistic that we don't have to stay in this material condition, but we can go to Krishna, which is the life of actual bliss. And we experience this here on this plane. It's not something that you have to wait for, but we can experience even in our material condition by chanting the names of Krishna, by dancing as we chant the names of Krishna, by hearing about Krishna, by associating with Krishna's devotees, by all these activities, we experience spiritual happiness. And even though the nature of this material condition is that the material problems will go on, however much we chant Hare Krishna, it's still cold in December in Seattle. But we don't become overwhelmed by that. Whatever the material problems are, we understand that ultimately it is insignificant because my significant or real existence is with Krishna. That doesn't mean that a devotee is irresponsible. He discharges his material obligations dutifully. But he knows that everything here is temporary. Therefore, the focus of my life should be 
to purify my consciousness so that I can simply remember Krishna and go to Krishna. Now, um, Krishna consciousness, that also, or, or the directions given in the Vedic literatures, also offer pragmatic solutions or solution means there's no actual solution in the material world, but uh, suggestions by which even in this world the material problems can be significantly mitigated. We have, especially in modern life, we have unnecessarily increased the problems in the name of progress and development. We have created so many problems. We uh, have created the motor car, which solves the problem of walking from one place to another. But then we don't get exercise, we have pollution, we have car crashes, and we have to, there are so many problems created, we have to create roads, which again makes more pollution, and there are traffic jams, so often, um, especially in a big city at rush hour, you can go quicker by walking than by car. So, we've created a solution to one problem, but created simultaneously created more problems. So, the Krishna Conscious Movement advocates a gradual return to a more simple way of life. Modern life is so complex uh, that it also makes our consciousness very complex. And therefore, we we stress, anxiety, and psychological disorders are normal. So we advocate a, a more simple way of life. Simple, that's sometimes equated with foolishness. If we say someone is a simpleton, it means he's a fool. But. <coughs> Simplicity, physical simplicity, does not necessarily mean uh, intellectual mm. lacking. Rather, we see that the the greatest intellectual works known to man, if man was actually to objectively study these Vedic literatures, which give knowledge of the material situation, its deficiencies, and the solution, spiritual solution. These were compiled by persons who deliberately lived a very simple life, who minimized the material necessities to concentrate on the spiritual necessity. And these instructions, this philosophy, has traditionally been discussed, especially by the Brahmanas in India, whose vow was one of poverty. We say poverty is a problem, but the Brahmanas traditionally lived deliberately in poverty. 
means they didn't accumulate any more than needed. So as not to be attached to material things, but to concentrate their attention on the spiritual necessity. And how much developed was their culture and civilization. So the Krishna conscious movement advocates a more simple way of life, no, not necessary to accumulate so many things. We go into people's houses and they have so much, every house is full of so much junk, really. So many gadgets and toys. You open the cupboard and hundreds of gadgets which are mostly broken or not used and, and you know, 50 pairs of shoes. What do you need so many pairs of shoes for? Yeah. In your next life you become a centipede, but they don't wear shoes. But it's like some desire to have many feet or something. So many pairs of shoes and then you go in the bathroom and there's you know, so many different containers. Something for some kind of makeup and then something to take off the makeup and 40 different colors of lipstick and so many different things just making life unnecessarily complex. So we advertise, live simply, no need for makeup. This is nice. This is nice, man. You can put this on. Don't waste money on this. You can become more beautiful by chanting Hare Krishna. <laughs> Please don't go without taking prasad. But we're not serving it yet. Hmm? So live life centered on Krishna. That we can practically see. How by taking up Krishna consciousness, the inevitable problems of life are mitigated. And we can see that those who take to Krishna consciousness, the more we take to it, we actually become happy. Isn't it? No need to ask. Just see the kirtan. No one dances like that unless they're happy. Sometimes drunken people dance, but they're not actually happy. Mostly people, to dance, they need to get intoxicated first. But devotees, and, and where they dance, but they do on occasion, but devotees do regularly, all the time. Why? Because devotees are happy in the happiness of Krishna consciousness. It's practical. Everyone can experience. It's practical. It's not sentimental. Often people think it's just some sentiment. But just see what is this philosophy. There's no philosophy to compare to that given in this Bhagavad Gita as it is. If devotees are not fools. Devotees know very well why they're doing what they're doing and what is the result of what they're doing. Whereas materialistic people, mostly they never stop to consider why they're doing what they're doing. They don't consider very deeply. They just think, well, I have to get more money and therefore I have to get a better job. And they, they don't see that everyone has got money, everyone has got jobs when they're miserable. And they don't consider. They just follow the same blind path. A devotee is very intelligent. A devotee is thoughtful and considers that 
simply accumulating money or going up in the world, getting a bigger position, this is this doesn't make anyone happy. We don't see if such people are, are happy. They may have a sense that I am better, but this is just false egoism. That's not happiness. This false pride, that's that's a very bad quality to be proud. I am better than you. And it's also foolishness to think I am better than someone else. When we're all simply controlled, any moment the proud man, I am in control, can be struck down by fate, by time, and becomes helpless. The the proud man, now I am in control. Then any moment, heart attack, and rushed off to hospital. Or kidney stone. Anyone ever had a kidney stone? No? I'm the only one in this room who ever had a kidney stone. It's very painful. And it comes very suddenly. You had? No, you've seen others maybe. So you may be, yep, I'm in control. Yes, pick up the phone, do this, blah, blah, blah. Oh, so, oh, so painful. So, the foolishness of thinking, I am in control, I am better, I should go up and show how great I am. This doesn't bring any happiness, actually. There may be some egoistic thought that I am great, I am better, but this only generates more anxiety, actually, because if we're thinking I'm better than someone else, definitely those who are below us are trying to pull us down, and those who are above don't want us to come up, so they're trying to push us down. So it's a, it's a, and even though they have work ethics that you're supposed to smile at each other and be considerate and all this, but actually everyone hates each other. <laughs> and it's all backstabbing, and they, they, they have office parties where there's some cooperation, but everyone is simply calculating how I can get ahead. And get ahead means push others behind. But devotees, they don't have any, they, they don't have any such ambition. Their only ambition is to chant the holy names in the association of devotees and to help others come to that situation also. So devotees are very serious about Krishna consciousness because they know this is the only solution to the inevitable material problems. And they know not just for me, it's just, just my choice, but everybody needs to take to Krishna consciousness. And so they try to help others take to Krishna consciousness also by distributing these books, by inviting them to the temples. That will be a great achievement for our devotees of Indian origin in America when they start to bring their Western colleagues at work to Krishna consciousness. That will be a great achievement. See if you can do that. At least give them the books, give them prasadam. This is the beginning. Explain to them how Krishna consciousness is the only real solution to all the material problems. Some of you are doing that. You're going out to the to the fairs, distributing books. So that's very good. Having come to this country from the land where Bhagavad Gita was spoken, having this great culture, which is so much relevant in the modern age, 
There's so much required. People need to know more so at the present time than in any previous time. People are suffering so much from lack of genuine spiritual direction. So you shouldn't just come here and merge into the American way of life and take advantage of it. But see what you can give. Having got the opportunity to take this knowledge, you please try to distribute this to others. Then your coming to America will be actually successful in the real sense of the term. Is it not? Hmm. So, Hare Krishna. There's much more to be said about this. This subject is discussed in some uh, important essays in the book Science of Self-Realization. The Science of Self-Realization. Who has that book? The Science of Self-Realization. Who doesn't have? So, maybe you can arrange... Please arrange they can get this very very practical book, very important book, which clearly explains from the Vedic perspective how Krishna consciousness is the pragmatic solution to all material problems. So science of self-realization, Bhagavad Gita as it is. If you don't have it this in your home, please take this. Who doesn't have Bhagavad Gita as it is in their home? Who doesn't have, please? Everyone has. That's good. Well, please read it and find out how to get the best solution to all problems, or the only real solution, which is the path of Krishna consciousness. Are there any questions about this? Um, most of us are working here in corporate uh, world that people are trying to solve material problems with material solutions. Mm-hmm. As uh, they are learning the philosophy that Shira Prabhupada does, they know that that's not a real solution. First, mm-hmm. we have to, um, you know, present the solution of life. We are, we are taking up that uh, occupation. Mm-hmm. What, what is the ideal consciousness that we should do our work? What is the ideal consciousness with which we should do our work? Being well, especially being software engineers, which is supposed to be uh, a material solution to material problems. Well, software engineer means that you are trying to solve problems created by this business in the first place. Software engineer means you're trying to make a better program, but the, the whole thing was just invented to solve problems, but then it itself creates problems. Because... You're always trying to make it work more efficiently. So what should be our consciousness in this situation? Consciousness should be that somehow by the arrangement of fate, which means ultimately the hand of Krishna, we are in this situation. So we should utilize it in the best possible way for serving Krishna. We are taking payment for doing the job. So it is our duty to do the job to the best of our ability. 
But at the same time understand that this is not all in all. So we can do that, but at the same time, just like Krishna told Arjuna, Mamanusmara Yudhyacha, you think of me and fight. So you think of Krishna and do this, and within your workplace, you can also try to gradually spread Krishna consciousness, give Krishna prasadam, give books. You can keep a stack of books and then your colleagues, if they, if they were, you can keep this science of self-realization and someone says, they talk about this problem, that problem, you give them, oh, here. If you want, you can have a look at this. So much crime nowadays, you can give this. Crime, why and what to do? Hmm. You have to be a little gentle in your preaching, but gradually you can do. Hmm, please. <coughs> A devotee is not ambitious. At Bhaktivedanta Manor in England, the parents of one devotee had come and they, they were desirous that this devotee, their young son, would get ahead in the world. He would have a good career and they were concerned that he was not ambitious. So Prabhupada said, well, a devotee is not ambitious. And then another devotee who was present tried to clarify that by saying that a devotee is not material ambitious. And Prabhupada said, not even spiritually ambitious. I understand it like this, that the very idea of being ambitious means to push myself up. Whereas a devotee is simply thinking of how to serve. So if one thinks that uh, I, I shall become Nanda, I shall replace Nanda Maharaj. Or I shall be a guru. I shall be recognized. Others will praise me. This Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has warned, Lab Puja Pratishta, the desire for gain or honor in the, in the name of bhakti is a great obstacle. And the acharyas have analyzed, Vishwanath Chakravar Thakur and other acharyas have analyzed, that even though it is difficult to give up material comforts and material possessions and to become a vairagi or a renunciant, giving up, or even one may give up the desire to be wealthy, to be one may give up the desire to have a big position, but even that, the, these desires are difficult to give up, but even more difficult is the desire to give up the desire to be recognized and to be honored. 
One may give up the desire to be wealthy, but then one may desire to be recognized. Oh, he's so renounced. It's very difficult to give up. So a devotee is simply satisfied to serve Krishna. But that doesn't mean that, just like Prabhupada gave the example, that Krishna is resting after playing, he's very hot, someone should fan him, but the devotee says, now I'm busy chanting my japa. Krishna needs to be fanned. He said, I have to chant my japa. So that's our desire of what we want to do. But we should see what Krishna wants us to do. Or what is required to be done in Krishna's service. At the present time it's required that Krishna consciousness be preached all over the world. That requires some endeavor. So a devotee thinks how he can best serve Krishna to the best of his ability, taking all difficulty if necessary to do so. But that doesn't mean... So So a, a devotee may accept sannyas, a devotee may accept disciples, but not as a matter of personal ambition under the cover of spiritual life. But he may do so to think how I can improve my service in this position. Previously I used to regularly visit Rangoon, the capital of Burma, which is now renamed as Yangon, the capital of Myanmar. Actually Burma is the corruption of Brahmadesh. It's Original name is Brahmadesh. And Thailand, Siam is Sham, Shamodesh. Anyway, that's another thing. So I was regularly going there as a brahmachari. And then one time I came back shortly after accepting sannyas. So some Marwari people there who I used to visit, I came to visit them and they, they said, Oh, Ilapati, that was my Brahmachari name, Ilapati has come. I said, well, actually now my name is changed because I took sannyas. So this Marwari man turned to his friend and said, promotion hoga. <laughs> He's had a promotion. So he considered in material terms that, oh, he's gone up because he's been promoted. But a devotee doesn't think like if we, if we think like that, it may be that someone takes sanya, sannyas. I remember one, one of our one devotee once in in Mayapur, Mayapur festival, said to the packed temple room, he was talking about. He said, "I made this, this very shocking statement." He said that one might even take sannyas to um, to impress women. And that sounds very strange, doesn't it? But to, to show that, yes, I'm, I'm very big in this organization. Don't take sannyas for that purpose. So this is how I understand it. Otherwise, 
Prabhupada sometimes used to say, my ambition. My ambition is to spread this Krishna conscious movement all over the world. My desire. Prabhupada said many times, he, different desires he expressed. Uh, my desire is to preach the glories of Jiva Goswami all over the world. So you could say that's an ambition. That is, that is not an ambition in the sense of self-promotion. So this is how I understand that statement. Anything else?